Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're covering community feedback, our favorite Linux hardware, Mint Snaps on Snaps, new Linux kernel, and some Linux gaming. All of this and so much more coming right up now on Destination Linux. Welcome to episode 177. This is a podcast about sharing our passion for Linux and open source. Destination Linux is a show for all experience levels. So whether you're a beginner to Linux or a master suitor, we welcome you. My name is Noah, and with me today are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles of Linux, Michael, Raphael. How are you guys doing this week? <laughs> Raphael, nice. <laughs> Here's the thing. I actually don't think, now that I think about it, there wasn't actually a Michael. In it was a Michelangelo. Michelangelo. No, yeah. no, no, so Leonard. What? No, there wasn't. Yeah, oh, yeah, was. Michelangelo. Yeah. Michelangelo. All right, Michelangelo and Raphael. So we'll start with Michelangelo. How's it going? Hey, everyone. This is Michael from the Editing Bay, and I have a quick announcement to add to the show because there's a news that came out between the the recording time and the editing time, and I just we have to have it in the show. So Destination Linux will be recording live on June 14th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the Southeast Linux Fest live stream. This stream is available for free to anyone, so if you want to watch a live version of Destination Linux, you can join us this weekend, June 14th, Sunday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll have a link in the description below and on the show notes for the website that has a link for the time zone converter that will tell you what time zone it is for you. So if you've never been able to join us live before, you definitely don't want to miss it because it is a fantastic fun time. And I'm not biased in any way. It just happens to be a life-changing experience. So be sure to check it out June 14th, 3.30 p.m., Southeast Linux Fest or Self Conference, and we will have all the information in the link below. So can't wait to see you there. It's going pretty good. <laughs> so um, I, I did a lot of stuff this week that I think is super exciting, and that is I got a still shirt. Yes, still shirt. Was Finally. it a life changing experience? It was a life changing experience. It was it was an amazing experience, really. Uh, but I also got a new router, which I'm happy to announce that it is hooked up. Yes, success. Look at you. Yeah, right. How are you liking your new router? So far, so good, except for I think I have an old Ethernet cable that has some needs to be upgraded. So I'm doing that, too. Uh, but you got a cat one in there or an RJ 11 cable? I, knowing no, you? no, I think it's a cat no. five, but uh, that's okay. also super old, too. Uh, so I upgraded to a Cat 6. Yeah. So look at you. Super excited about that. I'm going to actually have some speed that's reasonable. Uh, but yeah, I, that, that's that, there's so many things that I've been doing this week that it's really hard to go into the list. But I think the the biggest one is definitely the new new items we have in the Destination Linux store, such as this and the the fantastic shirt that Ryan is wearing as well. Yeah, it's beautiful <laughs> and a life changing experience as well. Exactly. Raphael, what have you been up to this week? Nice. I love how you're going with this. And that was <laughs> sure. a good pick there. I'm going to go ahead and just... I, I mean, which one are you going to be? I feel like you're Master Splinter. Uh, no, I'm obviously, I'm going to be Donatello. Hello, I'm in the lab. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. Donatello. That, that's yeah. fair. Uh, so for me, everything's been about Python. And I've been doing a ton of courses, as everybody knows, in Python. And yesterday, I was testing something late at night, which was kind of fun, which is Twython which allows you to take Python and interact with the Twitter API so that you can do things like scrub for any time you've been mentioned or post messages or upload pictures or create notifications anytime somebody sends you a tweet, those type of things, which, you know, it's simple stuff for most people. But for me, it's advanced Python. But I'm enjoying as I learn every step of the way. And I can tell you one of the things that I really love is the Raspberry Pi Foundation. RaspberryPi.org has a ton of cool training classes. One of the things I realized in taking the college courses and stuff that I've been taking for Python and a lot of the online courses is they give you a really good set of understanding the principles behind programming. They give you a great foundation for explaining all the different concepts of writing in Python. But then you kind of need a project. And I didn't have a project in mind when I went into this. And what the Raspberry Pi Foundation has in their training modules 
is a lot of information on small projects that you can do and guides to help you start kicking things off with you have a Raspberry Pi, whether you're doing it on your own computer, which is really cool. The other neat thing out there right now is PyCharm, who makes the famous Python IDE, also has their training courses that at some point they're going to charge for a monthly fee. I think it'll be $24 a month. But right now you can get access, mine says, until January of 2021 for free. And they have a lot of courses and things out there as well. So there's just so many resources for people who are looking to get into programming for the first time, want to take on another language. Python world is just a very exciting place to be. And I think the coolest thing for me was when I got the tweet to work, because I sent out a tweet that basically said from the code, if you can read this, I got Twython to work or Python to work. It was the amount of people that just favorited it and liked it and <laughs> were so excited about it, like I was, because I was like telling my wife, like, look how cool this is. I could tweet from, my, uh, from the program here. Uh, but other people were getting engaged. So it's a pretty cool community. Definitely recommend checking out Python if you're interested in getting into a really user-friendly new language. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think Python is definitely the best language for someone to get started with. And if they are, if they know it, if they already know another language, but they want to get into more robust languages, Python is actually a lot more robust than people think it is. So it's, I'm, I want to look into, I've never even heard of this Twython thing. So I want to check that out for sure. So uh, Noah, what have you been up to this week? Actually, hopefully Ryan can help me with his Twython Python joy because I have started to really dig into Home Assistant. We had uh, Rohan Karmandi on uh, a special edition of the Ask Noah show on Friday. We were actually testing the scale, or the uh, excuse me, the self stream. What we talked about really was Home Assistant and how you can use Home Assistant to build a central hub uh, for automation. And as many people have. I've been aware if they followed me for any amount of time, I have all sorts of things automated. I can make my lights do cool things and make them change colors. And I have access control and security and all those th kind of things integrated, but I've never had a central hub and I've had home assistant running for about a year now. I've played with it a little bit, but I've never really, really dove in. Certainly it isn't a cornerstone of the way I run my house. Um, and so sitting down with Rohan and getting an idea of all of the things that you that you can do with Home Assistant and the best ways to set those up, I thought was really fun and, and really exciting. And so that's what I've been playing this week. Everything I'm finding, my ability for Python scripting and my ability for, for Lua uh, is being... Uh, challenged, shall we say, because there, there's, a, <laughs> there's certainly a lot to learn if you've not done it before. So let me ask you, what is your end goal with your home automation? Not that you have to have an end goal, but in your mind, sure. is it your sound system tied in and your lights or are you going camera system, sound system, lights, home, you know, Mycroft? Like where, where do you see it ending? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I guess where it kind of starts with is this. I look at home assistant as being a a central way to access all of the individual conveniences that are here, right? So for example, we have Volumio and so we can play music anywhere in the house and we have in each room, there's two separate sets of lights. There is the main house lights, which are in the ceiling. And then there's usually some sort of accent lighting. So in our bedroom, that is, we've got two little uh, wall sconces. And then behind the television, there is a panel of RGB LEDs. And so it can turn the room different colors. In our living room, we've got a big thing that, that has accent lighting. And so what you find is, you know, at nighttime, after the kids are in bed, my wife and I are just kind of walking around and talking and clean, picking up the house and stuff. It's nice to put the house into kind of like a chill mode where we've got some nice music going. And we've got the uh, we've got the accent lights on, and most of the main lights shut off. But the problem is, right now, to do that, it requires two or three different steps. I've got to go over to the wall control panel and push the scene button, and that changes the lights. But then I got to go over to the computer and load the web UI for Volumio and fire that. And so I've been trying to make it a more cohesive experience, and I'm actually using some controls from the a company called URC or Universal Remote Controls. And they make a device uh, called the Table Touch Touchscreen Controller, the URC 7100, TDC 7100, the model number to be exact. And what the TDC 7100 does is it's essentially like a, like a remote control that uh, you can put uh, like on a, on a coffee table or have sitting out on your, on your, um, on your kitchen counter or whatever. And then you can tie it to the various different, uh, you know, 
components that are in your in your house and so i paired that with a tkp 7600 which is their seven inch in-wall touchscreen controller keypad what nice. i like about these is unlike a tablet there is no there is no microphone there is no uh camera it, it it's just a touchscreen device and so we have the opportunity then to control volumeo control the light scenes and and so on and so forth all from that one little touchscreen ui that's great except what i what i was quickly running into is that you know urc because they're not an automation company themselves they basically just make remotes you need something to translate what the urc can talk to to what everything else can talk to and that's where i hope home assistant can fill that gap um and so we'll see what happens i've got what are the device technology that you're using there's z-wave out there uh as i recall there's Mm -hmm. the i can't think of the other one for z-wave but which one protocols are you using for everything to communicate so shameless self plug, we we dove into this topic pretty deeply on the special edition of the Ask Noah Show. So if you want the deep dive of that, I, I would suggest you check out that that episode. But the short version is this: um, both Rohan and myself have found after testing a number of different light switches and and home automation control systems that Lutron really makes the best switch for the money. Um, they're a little expensive at one hundred fifty dollars a switch, but the way the Lutron system works is that it has their own licensed frequency that the switches communicate not only with each other, but they also communicate with the central controller, a Lutron central controller. So that is to say, even if Lutron tomorrow ceases to exist, and even if Home Assistant went under, and even if the internet itself died, all of the light switches in my house would still work because they all communicate with each other, and they all communicate with that central controller. Um, the central controller does have the ability to tie into the network, and so that means that it is accessible and controllable and readable from things like Home Assistant, but because it is, there's just one point, one device that's on the network, one device that has an IP address, it means that the network conge- congestion is very low. Anything that goes to the light system goes to that central controller, and then it goes through its own wireless distributed and licensed frequency to talk to the individual light switches. And so what you find is you have a very reliable, very robust way to control the lights still with the ability of having one device that I can keep up to date, keep the firmware up to date, firewall, all that stuff. I can do that, but I just have one device on the network to worry about. Um, and so I, I really like Lutron and I, and, and, and I know they're proprietary and I know they're very expensive and I know it's not an option for a lot of people, but it really is the best. Um, nice. And so that, so yeah, and so I've, I've, I've done that, but again, you know, when you're working with something that's not open source, getting it to tie into open uh, in, into home assistant does take a little extra work. And you can build this out over time for those concerned about costs and things. That's one of the best ways I find with these things is to buy pieces at a time. I see there's a Lutron kit here used at least with five dimmer switches plus the control units for 300 bucks, which if you start looking at the expense of this stuff, yeah, some of them may have a smaller starting price, but that's not really that out of whack. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform out there. It's optimized for managing scaling apps with their intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features such as the virtual private cloud or VPC in all regions free of charge. Now, this lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. And Container Registry is now available to all users in early availability release. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean Kubernetes. Now, if you want to know where the rubber meets the road with this stuff, you just have to look at what we're doing for Southeast Linux Fest. We have servers that we're spinning up right and left to try different infrastructure, and then we have to we then we have to get all of these developers and system administrators that have volunteered, and thank you for those of you who've done that, but we have to get them access to these servers, we have to have them set all this stuff up, and then we have to kick them back out so we know that they're not going to, that nobody is going to screw anything up, and we know that we have control uh, over that infrastructure. DigitalOcean makes that easy because it's simple to say, hey, we have the server. It has to be back in. It has to store some stuff. We don't want that on the internet. Well, you know what we'll do? We'll set up a virtual private cloud. We'll set up our own little mini data center in DigitalOcean's world-class data center where they already have deal, dealt with things like the redundant power and redundant internet and cooling and the racking and their server technicians, which make sure things are up 100% of the time. 
it's absolutely fantastic to work with the professionalism and ease of use that is DigitalOcean. It's the only way we were going to be able to get this conference done in just 30 days. We're able to do that because of the way that DigitalOcean works and the way they've made it so friendly. They've literally turned data center into, you know, it's like Amazon's one-click buy. I I need a server. I just need it to exist. And I can click a button and it will just show up. Now, you might say to yourself, well, no, that sounds great, but I don't have thousands of dollars to spend on this one-click data center. I'll just have to do it the usual way. Well, guess what? You get access to all of this, plus their world-class customer support. So if you don't know how to do it, DigitalOcean will teach you. How much is that going to cost? $5 a month. It gets even better. To get started on DigitalOcean, you can get a free $100 credit. So that's like 20 servers you could have for a month by going to do.co slash DLN. And you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for just two months. Again, you get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week of Destination Linux. Joel writes us to say, Hello, DL crew. I've been a Linux user for a few years to the point that I only use my Linux drive exclusively. I would like to contribute to your show by inquiring about a recent interest I've taken up. It all got started when I signed up for a title account for a four-month trial deal. I had some impact from the master tracks, but wanted to take advantage of the higher bit rate. I remember a recommendation from well-renowned audio geek, must be me. Oh, he said Patrick Norton. Darn. For the AudioQuest Dragonfly devices. Um, he goes on to say that he got one, but he's really not able to take advantage of the hardware and the higher bit rate modes on the Dragonfly he has to use Windows, which is less optimal for his personal workflow. Do we have any suggestions for an alternative device that is just as portable, easy to use, and high quality? I purchased the device on eBay. The audiophile community is strong and probably has old gear willing to be given to a new owner. Also would like your thoughts on Grado headphones. I'm expecting a pair of SR60Is to be shipped into uh, my place to check out at the time of this email. This was my first eBay bid that I won. I talked about my choice to the user on Telegram. He said those headphones are overrated. I know that headphone choice is subjective, but would like a well-rounded opinion. Thanks for the show and all that you do, Joel. Well, we don't have any audio experts on this show, so sorry, Joel. Uh, we're just going to have to get back. Oh, wait, maybe Noah knows. Noah, what are your thoughts on this? My my thoughts, uh, yes, headphones are a a personal choice. I don't have any... Uh, experience with that particular brand, uh, I can tell you that the that I'm in a lot of audiophile circles and a lot of people that buy the quote unquote best bang for the buck, and I've not seen those headphones come up before, and so uh, you know, I'm not saying they're bad headphones. I just there are other headphones that would certainly be on the list I would be comparing them to. Yeah, I, I actually haven't heard of those either. And I would love to tell you I'm deep into the audiophile circle. But if you go too deep into that audiophile circle, you'll find that people are spending three, $4,000 on pairs of headphones. And that's just outside of my budget. I will tell you that one of the best things I think you could purchase for yourself is a solid pair of headphones. And there are a lot of brands out there that make fantastic headphones that you've probably heard of before. AKG, obviously, being one that a lot of people love out there. If you're looking for wireless, I mean, Bowers and Wilkins, it just depends on what you want. If you want a wired headset, are you going to, and obviously he probably does because he's hooking it to a DAC here. So you're avoiding the Bluetooth. So I won't talk about the Sony MX3s and those, which I think are fantastic Bluetooth headphones. This is the second question I've gotten on this Dragonfly DAC, by the way. I will tell you that I use a DAC with my headphones and the Fios are what I use. So I don't know why Dragonfly is not compatible with Linux, but you're the second person who's mentioned it. But I use the Fio E10K, uh, which works fantastic. I also have their portable version, uh, which is the A3. And they are much, they're very inexpensive devices and will boost your headphones to their optimum level there. But it really depends on what kind of music you're listening to, because that's why there is such a variance in when audiophiles themselves are recommending headphones because sometimes your mids are really good and that's the type of music you're wanting to listen to. Sometimes you want an emphasis on your lows. Some people want the sound, the open ear. So the sound stage feels like they're at a live concert. Some people don't want that at all. They want everything kind of closed off so that all they hear is their music. So there's so much you could go into here. 
with headphones and so much opinion that would vary, I would say get those headphones that you've got, you bought them and see how you like them. But, you know, Sennheiser, AKG, Bowers and Wilkins, all of those are fantastic headphones as well if you want something different i'll throw a i'll throw a, a recommendation in there for the Dynamic dt77 pros the adium version uh, they are absolutely quality headphones that are good enough for professional i use them on air uh, a couple of times i've used them for mastering recordings they're actually they're really good headphones and they're 150 bucks those would be what i would consider a really solid choice what you're talking about it's always good to have a pair of really good quality headphones not super crazy not stacks you know not 10 $20,000 headphones but something that i can go grab and say i believe what i'm listening to is an accurate representation of what the person in, in, intended me to hear and for 150 bucks I, I, you know the dt770s would definitely rank up there as would the akgs i also throw a plug in there for the sony md7601s Sony's really ramped up their well, game recently, the, haven't they? Man, the, they have, you know, in, in the Bluetooth realm, but even the 7601, is it 7601, 7801, 7901, 7801, something like that. Anyway, one of the things that's, that, that Sony has done that I think is, is really incredible is they have really hit that Bluetooth, wireless, hi-fi, all of the features you could, ima- you could ever imagine. But, and it's the MDR7506s, that's what they are. Um, this, the MDR7506s are just very high-end, general-purpose headphones. They work for everything. They're not going to be the best. They're not going to be the audiophile's dream. They're not going to be the comfort dream. They don't have any Bluetooth or any noise canceling, anything like that. They're just a really good pair of wired headphones. Um, but those I probably have maybe eight pairs of because I just they're so good and they're so universal that I, I just like having them around. What I have on now, MD7506s. Really like them. And I will tell you that I, if you were one of those people that have gone into Walmart to buy the cheap pair of headphones or use the ones that come with your phone or whatnot, you are missing out on really enjoying your music. Mm-hmm. And headphones are one of the best ways that for the price, for the money that you're spending, you know, if people spend tens of thousands of dollars on audio systems and positioning and all of this. But you can get that same sound out of a few hundred dollar pair of headphones that you put on your head. And it is a life-changing experience with your music and using something like Tidal, where it's a streaming service, but it does stream in that hi-fi level, slightly more expensive. You're going to open up and and adding a DAC in as well. You're going to open up what those headphones are capable of and the sounds that you're hearing. And a lot of times you can, you know, sit there with a nice drink and listen to some music and really zone out from all the problems and things going on. It's, It's quite an amazing experience that I would suggest for people to check out a good pair of headphones. Completely agree. Scott writes in to say, Hey guys, great work on the show. I was hoping you could help me out on a few recommendations. We just finished building our new forever home in the mountains of Montana and includes several hundred feet of cat six, a ethernet cable, three wireless access points, a six U rack cabinet and an eight port POE security cameras. My intention is to install a gigabit ethernet a NAS server and an ex- and an externally facing server for OpenVPN, OwnCloud, etc. My Linux experience dates back to 1995, but I'm not fully up to speed on the latest and greatest tech. What products and or configurations would you recommend for the following? Network switches, access points, NAS, PoE cameras. Also, what would you recommend for separate boxes for each server or just virtualize everything? So I guess let's break it down. Hardware-wise, ubiquity switches are good. Uh, if I was going for the best, I would probably go with either Cisco or HP. Uh, for access points, you there I've worked with access points that are more expensive than Unify. I've worked with Ruckus. I've worked with Cisco. I don't really think there's a real value there. I think the Unifiers are going to do as good as any other enterprise access point out there. For a NAS server, I would I would do free NAS all the way. Yep. For PoE cameras, I'm not a fan of Reolink because they're made in China and there's some concerns about security with with uh, with the with the Reolink. If you want the best cameras out there, Axis AXIS. If you if you want something a little less expensive but still kind of uh, in in the in the same realm, uh, you could look at Unify cameras or you could also look at uh, Bosch or Sony or um, 
Panasonic. All of those are going to be cameras that go through security audits because they're used in government buildings. So they're going to be a little bit better. They're also going to be a little bit more expensive. Um, I have used Reolink cameras. The nice thing is both Reolink and Access all do everything over RTSP. And so it's one central standard. I would recommend pairing that with something like a Synology to get an NVR. Uh, so you have one central thing to tie all of those cameras in. And as far as separate boxes or virtualizing, absolutely virtualizing. You're going to save so much money and you what the money that you save can be used to purchase a backup virtualization server so you can, I guess, the introduction of high availability and just have a backup in case something goes down. You've got something else to kind of support you so you don't lose all of your services in your home. Ryan, what about you? What are your thoughts? Man, I can't add to that. It was perfect recommendation all across the board there. I, I would say that I did try to, I think on one of the shows you missed, uh, cheat on my free NAS server and I forget the recommendation. It was a Linux-based alternative that I installed on you. my server and it Open talked media vault? it's yes and it's I spent about 10 minutes on my machine and I quickly took it off and went back to free NAS it's just the perfect alternative honestly free NAS all Good the way boy. that's the only thing I have to add to the conversation um, I think all of your suggestions there are spot on yeah and just to be clear open, open media vault is, is good but free NAS is better better yeah right. Well, I'm glad we can all agree on that. We love hearing from our worldwide community. We have so many ways for your voices to be heard. You can send us a short email. You can send us a video. Hey, it just might get incorporated in the show. If you have a video or you have that email, you can go ahead and send those to comments at destinationlinux.org. Michael will read them. And six to nine months later, we'll probably make it into the show. <laughs> wow. Michael doesn't read them, though. I do. So they actually oh, okay. get incorporated no, Ryan will quite read quickly. Them, uh, Ryan will read them. It'll yeah. be incorporated. No, I, d- I do read them. I just also oh. let Ryan make the decisions. <laughs> Ryan, Michael will read them six to nine months and immediately yeah. following in about seven days, Ryan will get them into the show. Right. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. I'll read yeah. them when Ryan picks them. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll read them out here on the show and you'll get to hear them. Great. Sure. Why not? With the news of more hardware manufacturers supporting Linux, we thought it would be fun to go through a list of our favorite hardware that we recommend or personally use. I mean, there's I'm such a huge hardware person. Of course, I have tons of things to talk about in this particular segment. But this is on the cusp of the huge announcement from Lenovo that they're going to be certifying a full workstation portfolio for top Linux distributions from like Red Hat and Ubuntu and This is actually really awesome because it's going to be supported for all of their models and configurations. So this is a huge move, and a lot of other companies have similar things that they're doing, and including, like, we have a lot of stuff from Dell and HP that have support for Linux, and it's just a huge announcement for Lenovo, so we thought we would talk about hardware in general, just kind of, like, jumping off of that. So with moves like this, let's dive into the hosts, dive into what the hosts think and what they like to use. So let's start with Ryan. What would you say would be your favorite laptops or hardware to use in that sense? Apple. Apple all the way. We we already knew that, really. Oh, but oh, oh, my bad. I was giving you uh, the opportunity to not be that person. <laughs> all right. So in, in all seriousness, the the lineup here has never been better for Linux, obviously. We have more support from Dell. We have more support from Lenovo. But there's been companies that have been out there while there's been no support from those big corporations that mm-hmm. have been holding that banner high and keeping to the Linux philosophy and pushing for open source booting and all kinds of amazing things. So System76 and Tuxedo come to mind for me. They're specifically the ones that I've owned. I've had multiple System76 machines. I think they're fantastic computers. And I think that they have an incredible support system, an incredible reputation, and I would be happy and proud to recommend anybody go out there and get a System76 machine. If for some reason you don't want a System76 machine, perhaps you need something that's not offered there. I used to be Dell all the way. The Infinity screen, the unibody frames that they're utilizing with their laptops, the large trackpads, the brilliant screens. They've done a fantastic job. However, Noah kept talking and talking about Lenovo and wouldn't shut up about Lenovo. So I went out and got some Lenovos and I can tell you that, well, you all know this, but everyone else may not. My favorite laptop I own, period, the favorite laptop I probably ever owned is my Lenovo IdeaPad Ryzen machine does everything. You can flip it and fold it into a tablet. It has a brilliant screen. It has a very small bezel. 
It has a fantastic keyboard. It feels quality all around. It works brilliantly. It's just, it's super fast with the Vega 8 graphics integrated into it. It's just such a great machine. And I think it costs like $500. So you really can't beat the quality and stuff for the price and value that you can get from a Lenovo. But, you know, Lenovo and Dell, great. Uh, I think if you want to support the Linux ecosystem, if that's important to you, then you should probably look at System76 or Tuxedo, though. I'm glad to have Dell and Lenovo on board. But remember, these other companies, they've been here for a long time supporting Linux before Dell and Lenovo ever realized, hey, it's getting popular. Now we'll support it, which I'm happy about. And I love their products, but System76. Yeah, I, I would agree with most of that. And I think that I would just add to the fact that the the ThinkPad thing is, you know, because a lot of people would say that ThinkPad is like the go to laptop for people and especially for Linux support, because it's always had really good Linux support. And that's true. Uh, but I also love the fact that Lenovo is putting in the effort to actually yes. know, do more than just, you know, just because there was good support. Now they're actually proactive about it, which is awesome. Uh, and in addition to all of those, I would also want to point out that for me, in terms of laptops, I don't really have that much of a preference to what I'm using as a laptop because my main computer is my desktop. But the laptop that I've found the most joy, I guess, for using and the most usability is the Pinebook. Because I have found so many great, uh, you know, experiences with it because it is such a light lap, light laptop and it is so like the battery life is insane and all that stuff. For me, I think the Pinebook is just just as important to put in this category of just saying, hey, these are, you know, these are laptops that are available. They're not for everybody because they're not the best in terms of like power or anything like that. But for me, they're a great secondary device, and that's pretty much what a laptop is for me. Noah, what do you think? Uh, X1 Carbon, much like your uh, experience with your IdeaPad, best laptop I've ever had in my whole life. I mean, it's just perfection. I I wish it had a wired Ethernet port. It's my one complaint. And I kind of wish it had an exchangeable battery, although battery life, I mean, when it goes for two days practically, I don't find myself looking for uh, for a power supply, so I, I guess I don't even care about that so much. But you know, the the thing Lenovo really gets right that I believe that no manufacturer, to include your new beloved Apple, uh, can get right is they understand the uh, drawing a decent line between usability and aesthetics. the The clean matte black look looks aesthetically pleasing enough, especially to tech guys. And yet at the same time, when I drop it, you go ahead and throw your MacBook around four or five times. You're going to have dings and scratches and marks and whatever else. My ThinkPad just bounces. Donk, 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 donk. And then I pick it back up and I'm like, oh, crap, that just fell four stories. Shoot. I'll have to go put that SIM card back on there and then use it again. <laughs> you know, I just they're, they're just built with tanks. And um, they anticipate what's going to happen, right? They anticipate that you're going to spill bubbly on the thing and then you're going to just have to turn the keyboard over and it will all, the, all the liquid is going to drain out. So I, I really do believe that Lenovo does it right. As far as laptops go, with as it relates to Dell, I think the XPS is a is a good solid series, but I've known enough people that have had issues with them that I they gives me a little bit of pause. Not much because I think that Dell is a is a quality manufacturer, and it's entirely possible that the people that have had those issues is because of the way they're treating those laptops. But I think that there it's at least worth asking the question: Are Lenovo's maybe built a little bit more durable than some of the Dells are? I don't know. Well, what's interesting is Nate is here in chat from DLN Extend podcast, which is part of Destination Linux Network. Everyone should check it out. He is arguing. He's so mad. No, I'm kidding. He's saying that he believes Dell has been supporting Linux for 10 years. So he thinks they're a great open source Linux citizen that. that should be compared or on the same credit as System76 or Tuxedo. No. Um, I agree to a point, but here's the difference. Uh, Dell's ability to find those Linux laptops, the small lineup that they had, while they did create a project, it wasn't like mainstream. It is now, as I understand it, they've actually moved it into their main store, but you kind of had to go to this guy's blog to get to the store, mm-hmm. to get to the laptops. And that's much different than System76, where their entire focus is just been on Linux when it was nothing and nobody was talking about Linux. And today, as it's growing and getting bigger, so I don't put them in the same category, although I still applaud them and I still like Dells. And if somebody brings me a Dell, I enjoy working on them because they're quite easy to repair, much like Lenovo. So they're great machines. 
Yeah, and and I want to just reiterate some one thing about the the Dells. The Dells approach is awesome that they have been supporting Linux for as long as they have, and they've been off and on even before then supporting Linux. But the the way that, that they don't really put it up front in their marketing, they don't put much effort into it. And in like Ryan said, they didn't even bother to do hardly any effort. They now have Dell.com slash Linux, which is great, and I'm I'm ha- happy that they did that. But it also took them about eight to nine years after starting the Linux-based project to do that. So it's not on their forefront of, you know, it's 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 definitely a back burner thing. So while I am happy that they're doing it, I am much more, you know, in, in a fan of the companies that are that that is their purpose is System76 yeah. or Tuxedo or that kind of thing. Those, if you got a Dell, be proud of it. It's yeah. still supports Dell's Linux. still good. It's a good yeah. company. Yeah, it's yeah. not like it's a bad. It's just because they're not doing it as optimal as I want them to do. It doesn't mean they're bad. So now, if we go into something different, favorite GPUs and CPUs, I think we're all going to uh, pretty much agree here. At least I hope. Uh, AMD, 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 AMD. Yep, solid. Yep. All of that. That's pretty easy. <laughs> now this one's interesting because I do think we'll have some variants here. Best keyboard out there. I don't have a necessarily a preference. I only reason. I, That's I, a shame, Michael. Well, I admit something that I don't really want to admit, and that is, um, well, I only recently started using mechanical keyboards as of last year, and only because I got it from Ryan when he upgraded. He was like, "Hey, I got this. You want it? You want to get it instead of you know?" I was like, "Yeah, sure. Why not? I'll try it." And, and then I then I tried it and. I always said, like, what is that? It's just mechanical switches. What's the big deal about it? Blah, blah. And then I used it and I was like, oh, that's the that's the big deal. Okay. So I've only had one that is a mechanical keyboard, so I don't really have much of a preference. But I can say the mechanical keyboards, for those who don't understand the reason to get them, you won't really until you try it. But it is 100% a good option to get, and you should. There you go. And Noah, you like very flat, low-profile uh, keyboards. So, so uh, you, what keyboard do you use? I just, I've gone to just my mouse now. I don't really what? use a keyboard. No, a lot. no, Noah. Uh, let's let's just on-screen talk about keyboard? it for a minute. What keyboard do you use right now? <laughs> um, I like Onboard. It's a uh, it's a great on-screen. You keyboard like it, but which sometimes. one are you using, Noah? Uh, I have lots of keyboards. Hard to keep track of. Could them you all, show you us know? the one that you're Big using rest. right now? Well, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll identify it for you. The keyboard is way down here below, and the camera's way up here, and I'd get all the camera angles wrong. Couldn't really. Well, that's weird. Before. When What's you moved, I saw that Apple logo. Ah! Uh, <laughs> Here's the thing. The truth. The truth is this, right? I have mechanical keyboards, and I, I have uh, I have a Cooler Master ten ten keyless one that I really like. I have DOS keyboard <laughs> that uh, has no markings on it. Really like that one. I've tried a number of different keyboards and I like them all for various reasons, but here's the honest truth. Most of the time, the keyboard is just the thing I'm using to get information into the computer and I want to do it as quickly as possible. And the Apple, the new Apple, well, any Apple keyboard, the old ones used to wear out, but the new ones, um, they don't require any sort of proprietary software, any sort of monkeying. You just plug a plug a plug the cable in that comes with it and plug it into the computer. And I can hit 120 words a minute on these keyboards. I can't hit that on a mechanical keyboard because it's there's just too much key travel. Um, and so if you're looking for a scissor keyboard that takes up the absolute minimal amount of desk space, because they make this in a 10 keyless version as well, you just have to you just have to bite the bullet and say, I'm gonna buy an Apple keyboard. Here's the truth: there's not a single Apple logo anywhere on this keyboard. Well, that makes it's, it better. Yeah, it does, because I'm not using proprietary freedom-hating uh, software like you are. So, <laughs> so I, I feel like that gets me something. But like, but no, it's it's a genuinely, it's a really good keyboard, and it has a really good experience on Linux. In fact, my beloved KDE desktop actually has a keyboard layout for it, and so you can choose if you want the F keys to be F keys, or if you want them to do the function controls. I don't know. I just don't have enough good I feel like to this is an one thing Apple got right. This is a Noah exposed exclusive here on Destination Linux. This has been the most exciting discovery. By the way, for the person who's <laughs> sitting there right now typing in the YouTube comments that this is aired and you're about it. to say Ducky Mechanical Keyboards, I said right. it, so now you don't have to type it. Oh. Uh, everybody wants to talk about Ducky, so there you go. Ducky, uh, I've not used them, but a lot of people love them. My favorite keyboard I've ever had is the Corsair K70 MK2. Absolute best. Low low profile Unicorn throw up all the way if you want that, but you can turn all of that off. All of the settings are handled through the you know mechanical keys. You don't have to mess with the software to get all the things and keys and specialty stuff to work within Linux. It has a nice palm rest, all your volume controls there. One of the best mechanical keyboards, in my opinion, on the market. 
I have to give a plug for WASDA. Uh, WASD makes custom mechanical keyboards, so you can pick everything from the key switches to the keycaps to the layout to all, all of those things. The, the thing that I like about them is that they produce a really high quality keyboard for people that have a little bit of extra money and want to buy exactly what they want. And so if you go to, I think it's WASDkeyboards.com, um, the V3 mechanical, absolutely fantastic. And they, you know, they have backward keyboards. They have 10 keyless. They, you can, like I say, you can build them from, from the ground up if you want to. You can have printed keycaps. You can have a, you know, a blank keycaps. You can have colored, special colored ones, depending on if there's keys you want to, to, to accent or whatever. They allow you to do all that stuff. And it's a keyboard that's going to last you for a lifetime. So I, I feel like I have to at least get a plug in there. Again, one of those things I, mechanical keyboards just aren't my cup of tea i have a number of them i play with them certainly better than the free ones that come with computers but it wouldn't be my first choice absolutely uh for mouse it's pretty easy uh zowie zowie or logitech i think make some of the best mice out there the m570 buddy the m570 i have a whole bin of m570s because i have so many of them i love how when you find something you like you buy like a dozen of them that's the smart way to do it that way if one breaks and it goes out well not only that here's here's the here's the thing every tv in my house has the exact same remote control and even though we've 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 iterated on like what the media player is all the buttons are in the exact same place so if you learned how to use the remote once in my house 10 years ago it still works today uh, and same thing with the mouse. When I sit down at a computer, I, I should be able to close my eyes, reach my hands out, lay them down and start using the computer without having to think about it. I, and so to that end, I like all the mice. I like all the mice to be the same. I don't want them to break. I don't want the battery to die. I like the fact that I can literally take this M570 in my hand and I have a special mount that's over my bed that has a, a monitor on it that connects to a Thunderbolt dock that then goes to my, my computer. So if I wake up in the middle of the night and have to do something, I just swing the, swing the arm over and start doing it. This actually sits on my bed. And so I don't even, I, I swing the monitor over. I just take my hand and just kind of reach over and grab a hold of the mouse. And then, and I wasn't kidding. I use onboard for the key, on-screen keyboard. Uh, and the M570, I can control my whole computer with a single device. It's great. Nice. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, you're rubbing it in the face of somebody who's left-handed and I see the curve on that. And well, do they have a left-handed version? You shame me for on, showing that, you know, First of all, we can't use that type of mouse, but thanks for all, bringing it up and rubbing it in my face. <laughs> Left-handed trackball. Here's the thing. You, what you have to understand is... Southpaws are superior and we're discriminated against. I, what I was going to say was, yeah, see, left-handed trackball. Here you go. I'm, I'll okay. buy you one. So, like, <laughs> so, so, so here you go. So here's a left-handed trackball for you. Michael, you had one more thing you wanted to bring up here uh, that's one of your favorites, and that is monitor stands because you have 800 monitors, so that becomes more important. I'm assuming you're talking about the $999 Apple monitor stands, what you're... Yes, yes, absolutely. That's the only possible thing that I could be re- referring to. It's I will. Great. S- I kind of wanted to talk about the fact that I think that you know, with, with monitors, you can pretty much use any monitor at this point for the for like the most part. But I I have like so many different types of monitors. I don't really have a you know a big preference in terms of which is my favorite. But I kind of wanted to talk about the monitor stands in terms of I have three monitors that are currently using this setup thing. So I wanted to upgrade and do like either a triple monitor stand or a individual monitor stand for each one. And I'm kind of curious, what do you, what do y'all think about like, what would be the better type of stand for having an, a better workflow in the sense of like, let's say what I really, the thing I want is to have a vertical monitor that I can then move around into horse or to landscape I think there are ones that do allow you to move. They're more expensive. They get up there in price. I am struggling. I, I wish when I got the big one big monitor, which is the MSI 32-inch 1440p, I thought I can just go to one monitor because I'm sick of having so much stuff mm-hmm. on the desk. I don't have room for my Cheetos, my Raymond noodles, or my soda. So I, I really wanted to shrink the amount of stuff that I had on here, but I can't live without a second monitor. And studies have shown that if you're somebody who has employees, that their productivity can increase by up to 35% by giving them a second monitor, which is interesting studies that have been done out there. So second monitors are a big deal. But I do want to, to, do, to see mm-hmm. if having those monitors on a separate one stand mount would allow me to have a better workflow than having right now they're all on individual stands and you know, it's just, it takes up a lot of space. The, the stand for the MSI monitor, because it's so big, 
just shoots and jets out and it takes up so much of my desk mm-hmm. space and you can't really utilize that space. So I think getting stuff up off the desk is just going to give you more room for your Raymond noodles. Right, for sure. But I, I, what I was thinking is I wanted to get a stand, but I was thinking maybe, let's see if, if the, the community has some advice in this as well. But I, I was thinking having a stand that is individual for each monitor, but those stands are not like regular stands. They're, they're monitor arm mounts. So you actually attach it to the desk, but each one oh, independently yeah, attached. Arms, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in, instead of having the three, we'd have the you know you'd have because I've seen a lot of them that do the mounts, but they have three. But once they're three, they're kind of like one is in the middle that's adjustable, and the other kind of they're kind of a little bit more adjustable, but they're basically locked to each other. And I was kind of thinking maybe having a an individual monitor arm for each monitor would be a lot more flexible. In terms of like, maybe I want to have this monitor vertical at this time. Or well, now this. you have me wanting to do that. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. I have seen those stands, but I always thought, well, if you got one monitor, you'd put that in there. But you could get three of them and then have have like, yeah, you yeah. move them all around. You do whatever you want. Yeah, I'm kind of awesome. thinking about, well, I want to do that, but I want to see like, is that viable? Is it too, is I'm just over overthinking it or whatever. But there's no such thing in computer hardware. Do it. <laughs> And by the way, Amazon Basics, which is usually the same brands, but just kind of generically, you know, they make their own, Amazon makes their own thing. Mm-hmm. They have that single monitor kind of robotic multi-actuating arm for $123. So much cheaper than a lot of those other ones out there. You don't want to yeah. go cheap on your monitor stand because that expensive monitor you have is going to go crashing to the floor. <laughs> so you, you really do want to spend some money to yeah, make sure you're point. getting something high quality. So. I'm seeing someone here on Amazon for 32 bucks. I would love to do a video on a monitor I don't want with that $32 stand just to see what that how <laughs> quick that arm crashes down and smashes into the floor. Yeah, probably not the best option. One of the budget options I've come across that I've been pretty impressed with actually um, is Vivo, V-I-V-O. And they're, uh, I would not consider them to be a, a high-quality manufacturer, but they are, they do make the $39, $59 style mounts. And I have to tell you, uh, we put in a six monitor, or, or no, I'm sorry, it was a four monitor arm. It was a $69 uh, quad arm that mounted to the desk. Felt solid. Felt wow. Just solid. for $62. Um, yeah, I think what you're getting for, so uh, the, the mounts that I use are from a company called Yellowtech. They're a German engineering company, W or Y E L L O T E K. And, um, the the what you're getting and you know they're very expensive i think the post alone is three hundred dollars then each monitor arm is another two hundred so if you do six i mean you're over a thousand dollars uh at that point and and the same with would be true of ergotron which is another good high quality manufacturer however what you get i think between the vivos and the yellow techs is with the yellow tech i can move that monitor every single day for the next 15 years and twist it and move it and go in an office and out of an office and whatever. And you could have, you know, an office of five people and they could each come in and, and adjust it every single day for what they're doing in that room. And that mount would hold up. And I think the Vivo mount will work great for about four years. And then I think those, because they're just compression fitting, I think eventually the metal is going to grind down because it's softer. It's going to deteriorate. It's going to break. And eventually you're just not going to be able to hold the monitor where you want it to. So if you're just going to set it up and leave it, you can probably get away with that. I think if you're going to be using actively using the the the, the uh, full range motion mounts, which is what you're talking about, Michael, I think then it's worth investing some extra money in buying uh, one from something like Ergotron or or Yellowtech. There you go. Interesting. I, I I didn't know it was called. So thank you for letting me know how to search for it now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> While we're on, mo- can we talk about monitors too? Or go ahead yeah, for sure. One of, uh, I think, probably the best monitor I've ever purchased in my life is the Dell UltraSharp U3415W. It's a 34-inch curved uh, high-resolution display. And what I like about Dell displays is they really nail all of the little paper cuts with monitors. How many times have you plugged in a monitor? LG is famous for this. You plug in a monitor, you connect it to a Thunderbolt dock or whatever, or a new system, God forbid, and uh, it turns on and you power the system on and you go, am I getting a video signal? You look up the monitor and it gives you this message. No video signal shutting off in 15 seconds. Yes. No, no, no. Oh I, don't, I, I don't want you. To, now, here's <laughs> the thing. Maybe the monitor will turn back on when there's video signal, which I guess is not a big deal. But this ominous warning that the, that the monitor is about to shut down and then it gives you some arbitrarily small amount of time, like 15 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever. You're like, wait, I have troubleshooting. Can you just stay the heck on? 
for a couple of minutes. Let me figure out. Well, if sometimes computer- you can't even get to the menu because no. of that. I have an right. MSI monitor right now, Noah, that I had to hook my phone to it so that it would have a oh. signal so that it was on long enough because the, the timeout is three seconds and you cannot get yeah. to the menu if it does not have an input signal. So I had to yeah. connect my phone to it so it would have a signal so I could change what setting I wanted it on so that it would work. It's so ridiculous. This, so this is the kind of stuff I don't have any patience for. And I've, I, I, LG is particularly notorious about their, their energy savings. So if you want the greenest monitor on the planet, I'm sure LG probably ranks up there because like you said, the, the timeout is like, you know, and hopefully you can away. transport it in your Prius. Right. But uh, Dell monitors, they don't play any of those games. When I go into a Dell monitor, it feels like there's a little mini computer running on this, on, on these monitors because <laughs> everything has a menu and a, I'm not kidding, a menu and a sub menu. They have the integration, like uh, the 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 one that we sell, the standard issue. If you call Ultra Speed Technologies tomorrow, say I want to buy a computer, the monitor that's going to show up at your business is the Dell P twenty four nineteen H. It is a twenty four inch sixteen by nine ultra thin bezel IPS monitor. It can do it. You can spin it vertical or you can have it horizontal on the stand that comes with. If you want to take it off of the stand, you push one button and it unclips from the stand. And lo and behold, right behind, not around. Behind where the stand mounts is four versa screws. Guess what? Have you ever opened up a mount that you're going to use over a TV or whatever else? And you go, now, which one of these packs of 70 crappy screws do I use for my monitor? Well, guess what? Dell includes the high quality screws specifically for that monitor. They're just in the versa holes again behind the mount. So if the mount's on, you don't even know there's versa holes. You take the mount off. Now you have the opportunity to use the built in high quality screws that Dell provides for you to, to be able to use that monitor. And the best part about these, these monitors sell for like $170, 180 bucks. I mean, they're super cheap uh, and it's a very high quality monitor. doesn't do any of the stupid power save, shut off menu crap. You can use the menu as long as you want video signal, no video signal. The other thing, it doesn't have an external wall word. I hate when companies do the power conversion outboard. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's inefficient, but you lose the power cord for the monitor and then you can't use the monitor. Well, the Dell monitors all use IEC standard power cord. So you can use the same power cord that you use on your laptop. It has DVI, it has HDMI, it has display port, and then it has USB. So they have a built-in USB hub right on the side of the monitor. Use it all the time for our little YubiKey nanos that we stick in there and then you can touch them. Or you want to plug a flash drive in. It's so much more convenient for the user to be able to do that right on the monitor rather than having to dig down to the, the desktop. So the Dell monitors, I just can't say enough uh, good things about them. You have to get the P series. The P series is their professional line. It's the line where they don't they don't leave anything out. Everything is built rock solid. You feel those monitors. You can just tell they're made really well. The picture is incredible. The bezel is small and out of the way. The stand is elegant. I just don't have enough good things to say about. The it. only problem is that they there use that problem. proprietary Versa mount you keep talking about, but the rest How of the monitors Versa? use the Vase mount. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Vesa. I was going to say, how is Vesa proprietary? <laughs> put an R there. Sorry. So there's a question from our patrons. They want to know, do you calibrate your monitors, Noah, like with a spider or something like that to do color calibration? No, we do that on, uh, we do that on our, uh, on our video editing stations. But for those, we're not using Dell. I, I like Dell displays. They probably are good enough. Those are, those are being done with NEC displays. Um, we spent considerable more money on the, on the video editing ones. and Those are cal- color calibrated. Yep. No, or Michael, do you do color calibration? Because I know you do artwork. A lot of people who do art and photos and things will get a separate manual calibrator to set all their settings for, yeah. like Spider and others out there. Yeah. The in terms of doing calibration for the monitors, when when you're not doing anything that's like visually important, like if you're doing uh, m- graphics or video editing or motion graphics or motion effects, that kind of thing, you do need to know that the color is exactly what you see to be what you want it to be. So with those, I have a monitor that I do calibrate on. The other monitors are not that kind of quality monitors that matter. So I don't bother with those. So I only do it with one and it's just a way to save time. Do you do it through software or through hardware? It's kind of both. It's both. Cause like the, the spider is essentially it's like stuff like the spider. They just kind of sit on this, on the monitor. And I just didn't know if you used both, if you used a spider or if you just went into the settings and manually changed the colors till you thought it looked right. Well, typically what I do is, uh, Depending on which one I want to do, if if I need if like some a lot of IPS monitors have okay, there's a thing about between IPS and TN monitors. TN 
is super good for refresh rates and stuff like that, but they are absolute trash for color accuracy. So you don't even, if you care about color accuracy, just don't even bother with TN uh, because the IPS is going to be providing you a much richer color and a much more mm. vi viable color. So, and it's a lot more vivid too. So in that case, you need an IPS and you can get away with what I do, which is most of the time I do cal cal calibration with just eyeballing it because I've been doing, you know, manipulation of graphics and, and images for so long that I've kind of got to the point where I do know how to do that, but it's not what I recommend. Uh, I just do it for laziness. And there is another option would be using one of the, the calibrators. So if you're getting started with any kind of the stuff like that, you should, probably should get a calibrator. And they're not super expensive. And then there's also a so piece of software called DisplayCal in Linux that allows you to use the software to automatically uh, adjust with the hardware cal calibrator. So what it's essentially doing is running the software and the uh, spider or whatever is reading the colors that are being displayed to it and then it'll make adjustments and suggest adjustments through display counts in order to do it the better option is to use hardware like if you care about it being a hundred percent accurate especially if you're going to do it professionally linux kernel 5.7 has been released and it comes with some great goodies for those of you on rolling release to gobble up and of course the lt users will get once it stabilizes and becomes something we can count on uh, it was mentioned that there are almost 14,000 non-merged commits all over from close to 2,000 developers. Now, there's some really cool stuff that's coming in and from some surprising places. So, for example, there's improved XFAT. Um, this is a file system that's heavily used in a lot of digital cameras, video cameras, and cell phones. This comes from the implementation system implementation from Samsung and improved Perf C group profiling as well as thermal aware scheduler to increase CPU performance, a.k.a throttling issues. Um, Linux kernel 5.7 also introduces the ARM kernel pointer authentication for ARM64 architecture to protect against kernel return-oriented programming attacks and a new LSM or Linux security module for BPF and that is Berkeley Packet Filter, also called BPF LSM. Um, so a lot of this is going to be really, uh, really deep if you're into the kernel code and, and so on and so forth. Um, one of the things that I took away, though, that I was really happy to see is improved support for the PreSonus Studio 1810C. If you're not familiar with this, this is a audio interface and, and, and one that I have in my studio for doing, trying to record like a large band or something like that where you need a lot of inputs. And also Motu, uh, the Motu Microbook IIC, which was interesting. Mark of the Unicorn is a brand that's notoriously bad uh, for support with Linux. So it's exciting to see that the kernel is making some some progress there and then some uh, improvements for touchscreens. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. MOTU means Mark of the Unicorn. Is yep. that what? I really? Know. I didn't know Seriously? that. I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. I'd never heard of it either. Yep. Yeah, that's what it that's what it stands for. And that's that that was the name of the company, and then they eventually abbreviated it to Motu, and then they began to hate <laughs> Linux, which is when I stopped caring about them. Okay. But there's also some in 5.7, also some improvements for TV tuners, webcams, and a lot more hardware. And so and and this is the kind of thing I feel like sometimes people like me get lost because there isn't some new UI that I can click on and be like, look at all the features that are here. But the reality is when you plug in that new webcam or when you plug in that TV tuner and you want to record something off the TV, it's going to work now. Thanks in large part to all of the developers that put the work in for kernel 5.7. And so, yeah, and you'll be able to experience all of that stuff in about six months. Right. Exactly. Once it's all stabilized and working well, I'll be very excited to be able to incorporate <laughs> that into the production system. Until then, we can rely on people like Ryan, who uh, will just install whatever it is that comes down the pipe and see if it works. And if it does great, and if not, oh, well. Listen, there's a lot of other support in here. You've got some additional support for PineTab, PinePhone, and PineBook Pro being written into the kernel. You have Intel Tiger Lake, AMD Ryzen for 4 Series GPUs going in there as well. The Rock chip has improved performance pretty much a ton, as we've been talking about on this show, ad nauseum probably, of additional hardware enablement, hardware improvements, expensive hardware, low-end hardware, older hardware, newer hardware, all being enabled in the kernel. To me, this is a really exciting release, 5.7. And I like to, because a lot of this, like Noah was saying and was reading earlier, some of it's kind of like, whew, right over your head, what's going into it. If you go to kernelnewbies.org and look at slash Linux changes, that's a really cool 
website because it breaks it down in a little more English to understand what's actually happening in the changes for me anyways. So today we're going to discuss a game that has 16,000 very positive reviews. Very positive, not just positive, very positive. It's multiplayer. It has lots of rainbow vomit, as Wendy from Hardware Addicts would describe it. Um, <laughs> the colors are there to astonish you. It's really kind of beautiful in neon. The game is called Shell Shock Live. It describes itself like this. Demolish your friends with hundreds. I mean, that line right there sold, right? Demolish your friends with hundreds of upgradable weapon shots from your customizable tank in this action-packed online multiplayer tank game. Please tell me we're going to do a Destination Linux Network gaming event and play Shell Shock because this is so up our alley. You earn experience 100%. to level up, unlock new tanks, unlock weapons and gear, which I'm going to do before the DLN gaming session so that my tanks are better <laughs> than all of yours. Fight against or alongside your friends for strategic team or free-for-all matches. It's just completely ridiculous. You unlock your upgrades. You have 400 unique power-packed weapons from the intimidating Seagull to the ever-powerful Mega Nuke. The best part is that they're building and adding more stuff to this game on a daily basis. In fact, it just received a major update. It works in Linux natively. You don't even have to have Proton for this. And the major update is attack drones, new campaigns, new fighting modes, all of this for $6.99. This is a game to pick up. And I can't wait to see all of you on this game so that I can demolish my friends. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I, that's, I looked. That's, the, that's what we were hoping for. Yeah, yeah, I totally am going to get this game. It looks like an awesome, fun game. And it's it's definitely like silly in the sense in the sense of like over the top but it's it's fun because it's it's also simplistic while being over the top ridiculousness and yeah. i love that combination and i saw some videos of it and it looked it looked fantastic and looked like a lot of fun so i'm looking forward to destroying ryan and noah in <gasps> this game it'd be fantastic will never happen <laughs> totally down up next, we're going to talk about the software spotlight for this week, and that is Scribus. Scribus is a desktop publishing application. It's for like magazine publishing, ebook publishing, digital news, like uh, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And all of this can be done on Linux with Scribus. So if you're a professional or just a beginner, you can check out Scribus to do this kind of thing. And it allows you to even like self-publish if you want, because it's it's like a, it's a really cool open source solution for mm -hmm. publishing on the desktop. It gives you a lot of features. You know, it's it's a it gives you like CMYK and it gives you the PDF creation. It also has pre-made templates for brochures, menus, newsletters, all kinds of stuff like that, as well as encapsulated ProScript import. And you can even create color separation in, in related to the spot colors and the CMYK and that kind of thing. And it's also a really easy to understand interface and has a lot of great additional tools that I don't have time to talk about in this particular spotlight. But uh, Scribus is really awesome. It's a great tool. You should check it out. And uh, once you do, let us know what you think. And if you have any like you know publishing things you think that we should check out, feel free to send it to us and, and our email comments at destinationlinux.org. While you're working in the terminal, it can be helpful to see snapshots of active processes. We've compiled a list of commands here, and you can navigate through those like a boss through these processes. First is the obvious one of typing, and that is the PS. The second is the way to show processes in a tree-like diagram, and that is PS tree. The third is a way to display memory usage of a particular process, and that is PMAP. You can get a better understanding of the main subprocess is an easy-to-read diagram. It's really important to understand, I find not only what's running for system performance, but also I find it really useful from a security standpoint. There's numerous times we have found a box that has, that has had some things that really shouldn't have been there, or maybe somebody has fully compromised the box, and we found that by looking and just understanding what processes are there. The other thing I think that is important is running those commands before you have a reason to run them gives you an idea of what your system should be looking like. Running PS is great if you know what the output is supposed to be like. But when you when you run it, all of a sudden, I remember the first time I saw Baloo Runner. And it was in KDE, and it was it's a it's a process that goes through and indexes a bunch of files, and it was hanging up and causing my whole system to lag. And I, I, I kept seeing it. And I thought, 
what is this process that has infected my system and is taking over and causing everything to crash? And then I find out it's expected to be there. Now, when I see that, it doesn't bother me so much. But running that command from time to time and just understanding what processes are on your computer, what process you expect to be there will help you determine and find problems when you don't expect something to be there. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want a behind-the-scenes pass into the making of the show and an opportunity to chat with us live, consider becoming a patron. Our patrons help keep this show going and get awesome perks like access to live recordings and unedited versions of the show. The best part is you can join for just a few dollars on Patreon or sponsors. Destination Linux Network also has a great way for you to become a part of the community by going to destinationlinux.network and joining our forums. Discuss the shows, the network with listeners from all around the world, all in one place. Now, if you're looking for more live chat sessions, then we invite you to join our Telegram group or our Discord server, where you can interact and share your passion for Linux with other members of the community. If you'd like to learn more, we invite you to head over to destinationlinux.network. And we love hearing from you, so please get back to us and provide some feedback or ask any burning questions that you may have. Send video links or comments to our email address, comments at destinationlinux.org. Please try to keep those comments brief as we may include them in a future episode of the show. And also don't forget to go to the Destination Linux store. We can you pick up some swag across the, all the network where we have po- for our podcasts and shows and YouTube channels. I have I haven't got everything and I need to get everything, but I did get a stool shirt so far. Naturally. Right. Of course, because I, I need to promote active sitting. Because that is important for everybody to know what it is and that you should also let everybody know that active sitting is a fantastic thing. And, you know, definitely check out the shirt and as well as the new Destination Linux logo shirt that Ryan is wearing. It is a fantastic shirt. I, I Like a boss. I, like a boss. It's definitely yeah. it would it makes you feel like a boss because that's how much of a life life changing experience it is. It's true. So grab yourself a hoodie, a T-shirt, a coffee cup, or any of the other things. And like I said, many people ex- have claimed that wearing DLN merchandise or having DLN merchandise in general is a life-changing experience. Definitely go check that out by going to destinationlinux.network slash store. And if Michael, you want- I just need to interrupt for a second. Okay. I'm really sorry. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our patrons just showed a post that your stool is now a meme on Reddit. And they have pictures now uh, across Reddit of active sitting on the stool. So congratulations on becoming famous. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to go check that out. If you want more content from us, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels that you can check out. You can go to youtube.com slash dosgeek, where Ryan will fill your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux, and apparently Mac these, uh, these days. So if you want that, feel free to check it out. You can, find my, <laughs> you can find my content at TuxDigital.com, where I do an in-depth weekly Linux GNU's podcast, This Week in Linux, and other Linux-related content. You can find Noah at the AskNoahShow.com, where Noah hosts a weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. You can join him, and he'll and call in, and he'll answer your questions about tech, business, Linux, all that kind of stuff. Also, mm-hmm. he'll, if you have any questions about his Apple keyboard, feel free to call in and talk about that. Yeah, you can. And I'll uh, I'll refer any Apple questions over to Ryan. He's going to be joining me to answer your Apple it questions. It sounds like you're the expert. You've been using right. it for years. Just the keyboard. <laughs> Operating system and the hardware and the freedom-hating software, I'll leave to you. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Good job. Make sure to check out the other Destination Linux Network shows like Hardware Addicts, Linux for Everyone, and the DLN Extend podcast. Everyone have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Have a great week. Thanks everyone. See you next week.